0: Thanks for listening to the New Stanton Church podcast. Check out our website at newstantonchurch.com where you can find out how to join our live stream at 901 on Sunday mornings. Now let's prepare our hearts for the word that we're about to receive. Good morning, y'all. My name is Tyler. Uh, I'm the worship leader here, so I'm the one normally singing. Um, but how about our band this morning? Uh, the, I mean, worship was great, right? So I'm excited because I get to share a message this morning about marriage. And if y'all didn't notice, but the title is Marriage is Work, Teamwork, right? And teamwork, nobody? That's what I'm talking about. Teamwork makes the dream work, right? Yes, yes. And so since we're going to look at marriage in, in the setting of, of, a, of teamwork, we're going to look at it through the eyes of it being a team sport. Okay, it's a team sport. And so I wanted to see what do the leaders, what do the experts in team sports say about how we can work together? All right. So I went to Bill Belichick, New England Patriots head coach. Arguably, I know, I know. But you can't argue the fact that he is the best NFL football coach in the history. And he coaches football, which is the ultimate team sport. Okay, so a couple quotes Bill Belichick says about teamwork. He says, on a team, it's not the strength of the individual players, but it is the strength of the unit and how they all function together. Right? For a team to accomplish their goal, everybody's got to give up a little bit of their individuality. Release a little bit of yourself for the good of the team. And the last one I really like is mental toughness is doing the right thing for the team when it's not necessarily the best thing for you individually, right? Wide receivers need that message the most, I think. They're the divas on the football field, right? But that's so good, and it almost, if you're thinking about it, it almost feels biblical, right? I mean, what do these quotes have in common? What's the messaging here? That the team's success is more important than the individual's success. That each player on the team has to play for the good of their teammate, not for the good of themselves. When we're looking at this, these character traits that are being described, humility, selflessness, a belief in your teammate, a belief that they have what it takes to get the job done, and a willingness to sacrifice for the team to win the game, to have ultimate success. I believe these same principles can be applied to marriage, right? If marriage is a team sport, we want to win. We want to be successful at marriage. So we're going to focus on four questions this morning that we're going to answer. First, what are the positions on the team in marriage? What are the roles that need to be filled on the team? Well, it's easy. It's husband and wife. It's man and woman, right? We, We got the positions down. What is the goal of marriage? In football, the goal is to score more points than the other team, right? It's to get a touchdown. That's the goal in football. Well, what is the goal in marriage? The goal is to love your spouse the way that God loves you, okay? We're called to love others the way that God loves us. Number one on that list is your husband or wife. That, that's who ranks number one, okay? So we need a definition of love, Well, God gives us one. It's in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But he lays out what love is. So now we can define success. Next question. Does this game come with instructions? (laughs) Is there a blueprint? Can you tell me how to succeed? Right? Yes. God God handled that for us as well. It's in Ephesians, and we're going to look at that, but... He lays out the instruction for each position on the team so that team can ultimately have success. And the last question that we're going to answer this morning, and it's the first question we're going to answer, is who created this game, and is it even worth playing? Yes, it is. And God created it. God created this game. He's the one that created marriage. He gifted us marriage. He gifted us this union so that we have a teammate to go through life with. Amen? So we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to start at the very beginning of the creation of marriage. We're going to go into Genesis 2, 18 through 25. If you have a Bible, feel free to open it up. If you have your phone, feel free to open your Bible, right? We're going to start with Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Adam said, at last, at last, this is the helper. This is the teammate. He recognized Eve immediately as bone of his own bone, as flesh of his own flesh. He was aware that there was an empty, there there was an empty spot in his body. Literally, something had been removed from him. And God returned that back to him in the form of the perfect teammate in Eve. Right. He recognized that she was his partner, that she was part of his inner being. She was his partner. Now, that's the beginning. That's the way this starts. So we're going to go on. We're going to say, what is the goal of the game? What is defining the win of marriage? We have our two positions. We have husband and wife. We have Adam with his perfect teammate, Eve. But what is the goal? What does a win look like? We're going to go to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful. And it is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked nor overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes, believes all things, looking for the best in each one, hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times, and endures all things without weakening. Now, we're all familiar with this passage love is patient, love is kind, right? We, we, every wedding that we've been to almost at a 100% clip, this is the passage that the officiant, the pastor, this is what they read. And it's beautiful. It really is. It's this beautiful definition of love. What does love look like in verb form? What are the action steps in love? Our problem is, much like we saw with that video, is as we're standing there listening to this beautiful definition of love, we're standing there thinking, oh, my goodness, this is exactly how my husband is going to love me. Ah, this is exactly how my wife is going to love me. She's going to be patient and kind and endureth all things. Like when the laundry isn't put away after it's folded. Anybody fighting that battle at home? Right? We look at it with expectation from the very start. We're placing expectation. We're saying love is patient, so you're going to be patient. Love is kind, so you're going to be kind. Problem with that is, what are we called to do? We're called to love our spouse as God loves us. We are the one to do the loving here. We are the one to be patient. We are the one to be kind. We are the one to be steadfast regardless of what comes. Instead of putting that expectation on our spouse, we are the one to humbly accept that and to live that out. God gave us the definition. He also gave us an example. He gave us Jesus. And Jesus lived this definition of love in his life. We got the example of this love through how Jesus lived, how Jesus loved, and ultimately, how he gave his life for us. So if we listen to love is patient, love is kind, and we always put that on the other, I wanted us to read another translation. Exact same verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. But this is the King James translation. It says, charity Suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh nor, not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth, rejoiceth not in inequity. But rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. I feel like I need an English accent whenever I read the King James Version, right? Charity. It doesn't even say the word love in that passage. The the passage that we all use at every wedding ceremony in the King James Version, it says charity. That's a different heart position. Amen. Charity. When I think of charity, it oftentimes comes to me in the form of money or in volunteer work. Right. I'm, I'm giving to something. I'm donating to something. I'm being charitable with my money. I'm going to volunteer and serve. I'm um, love your neighborhood. I'm going to volunteer my time. I'm going to be charitable in my abilities. Right? If I'm a carpenter, I'm going to be charitable and, and help somebody build something because that's, that's what I'm gifted in. And so I'm just going to willingly give that away. So what is it to be charitable? It's giving, expecting nothing in return. When I make that monetary donation, I'm, I'm not buying a service. I'm not buying a product. I'm freely giving it, expecting nothing in return. Oh, who does that sound like? Sounds like God. It sounds like the way God loves. That sounds like Jesus, the way that he loved us, the way he loved those around him. I'm giving something to something or someone that is unearned. Again, when I donate that money, when I give that time, I'm not receiving anything back. They're not earning this money. It's freely given. Well, what does that sound like? Grace? Is that how we receive salvation? Because we didn't earn it. We can't. We certainly don't deserve it. Yet God gave it to us anyway. He gives it to us anyway, expecting nothing in return. When I read that verse through, through God's eyes, through the lens of how God loves us, I can't help but think of John 3, 16. That's that's a John 3:16 kind of love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever believes in him. That's the charity in the way God loves us. Whosoever believes. He didn't say you must believe. He still gave us free will. That whosoever believes can then come and spend eternity in heaven with me. So there's no expectation tied to that. He gave his son for us. Easter was last week, right? That, That love. He gave his son for us expecting nothing in return. If God loves us this way, and we're called to love our spouse that way, Why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult to be charitable in love? Why is it so difficult to limit those expectations? We chose them. We committed to them. We made a covenant before God to to be with them, right? We picked them. And wasn't that great? I mean, it was amazing, right? We're so in love. Love is a noun, is a thing, but now we are going to live love. So as we move forward, instead of expectation on our spouse, instead of expectation from the very first day from that ceremony, love is patient, love is kind, what if we gave them grace instead of expectation? What if we replaced expectation in our marriage with grace, the way that God loves us, the grace that God gives us. Our, our love should not have to be earned every day by our, by our spouse. We should graciously, charitably give them our love and love them in the verb form the way that God laid out. Amen is right. So, how do we do that? I think the first part of this verse that we could all focus on is in verse seven. Love bears all things regardless of what comes, believes all things, looking for the best in each one. Looking for the best in each one. I know a lot of scorekeepers in my life. Anybody know any scorekeepers? Well, three weeks ago, you did. Last week, I did you never, right? Again, I, I'll just be honest with y'all. I don't put the clothes away after they're folded, okay? So, so that, that, is, that is something that, that I just don't do, right? Sometimes, three weeks after I failed to do that, my wife will greet me with a you never statement. In that case, she's exactly right. So I, I can't, honestly, I can't argue with it. But let's replace expectation with grace so every day we wake up expecting the best in our spouse every day we wake up expecting that their intentions for what they said and how they said it and what they did and how they did it are in my best interest not how we oftentimes take it with spite right or with or with um Animosity or or anger. No, no, let's expect the best in our spouses. That'll be that is a strong first step in the process of living out love in a verb form. So we have the we have the positions, husband and wife. We have the definition of love. We know what the goal is to love our spouse the way that God loves us. So are there instructions? Yes. Ephesians 5, 21 is it. It's a single line. It's the, it's the secret. I know you're all sitting on the edge of your seat right now going, Tyler, tell me the secret to winning at marriage. Relax. Submit. And in 2021, nobody likes that word. Submit to one another out of reverence. For Christ, Yeah, that should get a lot of amens. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's it. That statement isn't specific to a husband. It's not specific to a wife. It's for both of y'all. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because what did Christ do? He submitted the ultimate submission. He gave his life. For us. So out of reverence for that action, we should submit to our husband and wife or wife. Now, we're going to talk about specific instructions for each position, right? On a football field, a wide receiver has a specific job to do. A quarterback has a specific job to do. So do we. So wives, in Ephesians five twenty two through 24, it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as a service to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject to their husbands in everything, respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as head of house. Ladies, your husband is responsible. He's held accountable before God for his household. That is a real responsibility, and it's not to be taken lightly. And God created you to be the perfect teammate, specifically made to support him in that role. God created Eve to be Adam's helper, partner, teammate, and Adam recognized it right from the start. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Anybody remember the movie Jerry Maguire? When he comes into the room at the end of the movie and he says, you complete me. You complete me. And what did she say? You had me at hello, right? (laughs) Think about that. Eve had that exact scenario. She wakes up. She's being presented to Adam. And he is ecstatic. You complete me, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I recognize you as the part of me that is gone. You're going to fill this void. You had me at hello, right? So wives, be who you were created to be. Be your husband's confidant. Be his counsel and decision making. Lift him up. Speak life over him. Ultimately, show your confidence in the decision you made when you committed to a life with him. Husbands, not off the hook. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she, the church, will be holy and without fault. Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us. And not just in the sense that he died, but the way he lived. He spread the word. He ministered. He healed people. He literally lived his life for the church, for the people. And then ultimately, he gave it. He died on the cross as a sacrifice so his blood could cleanse us and make us clean. And that if we believe in him, we could spend eternity in heaven. This is speaking to men right now, out of the Bible. It's asking you not to just die for your wife or for your family. And, and that gets really romanticized in our culture. We hear it in songs. We see it in movies. Again, Armageddon. Anybody remember Armageddon? They send up a crew of guys to land on an asteroid to then drill a hole, plant a nuclear bomb, fly home, blow up the asteroid. It splits in half. Everybody's safe. Sounds really simple, I know, right? But of course, there's a complication. Much like every single relationship you will ever be in in your entire life, there's a complication. And so, what does Bruce Willis do? He shoves Ben Affleck back onto the ship, slams the door shut. Now, Ben Affleck can't get back out there. Bruce Willis is gonna be the hero, he's gonna blow up the nuclear explosive while he's still on the asteroid. He's going to give his life for all of humanity. Men, we are not Bruce Willis riding an asteroid through space. That ain't it. That's not the role that God is telling us to play here in Ephesians. He's not asking us to die because our death isn't worth the price of admission to heaven anyway. I'm challenging you this morning, and I believe that right here in Ephesians, God is challenging all of us this morning to live for our wives, to live for our families. If you're here this morning, you're hearing this message. If you're joining us online this morning, you're hearing this message. Or for a week from now, somebody driving in their car, listening to this on a podcast, you're on the right track. You're on the right foot right now because you're here. Because living for your wife and living for your family starts with God. Pastor Josh gave a sermon, I think it was, it might be a year ago now. But he shared a couple statistics that to this day, my wife or I reference maybe once a week, once every two weeks. And there was a study. And it showed that in a family... Of non believers, if the child is the first person to become a Christian in that family, there's a 3.5% chance that the rest of the family will follow suit and will start following Jesus and being Christians. If the mother is the first one in the family to become a Christian, there's a 17% chance that the family will follow suit. Men. Be the leader that God created you to be. Because this study shows that if the father is the first person in the family unit to become a Christian, 93% of the time the family follows suit. That is a real responsibility. God is calling you to be a leader of your household. He's calling you to be a leader of your family. And the stats prove it out how important it is, how vital it is. So as we sit here this morning, we think about, we know the positions to play. We understand what a win looks like. We have the instruction. But how do I apply this to my life? When I leave here this morning, how am I going to put into effect what I just heard and what I just learned and what the Bible tells me that I should be doing. Husbands and wives alike. When you leave here today, remember the very first line, submit to your spouse out of reverence for God. Race to the bottom of your relationship. We all know scorekeepers, right? We all know scorekeepers. The one up. The, well, I did this, you didn't do that. What if we flipped that and we tried to one-up our husband or we tried to one-up our wife in a race to the bottom, in a race of humility, in a race of service? Because that's what Jesus was. He was a servant leader. And that's what we're called to, to model. So what if we raced to the bottom of our relationship? If every day I woke up and figured out how could I serve my wife more? And she did the same. She woke up thinking, well, he did this, so I'm going to do that. And I said, well, then I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do that. And you lower yourself to the point where you are on bended knee out of reverence for God. Amen? Because that's where you should be. We all, every single Sunday, should come down to this altar and bend our knee and thank God for what he's done and ask him for help with whatever it is that we need. How is that any different in our marriage? It's not. It's not. Race to the bottom. Race to the bottom with your eyes focused on God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with humble hearts. So grateful For the team that you put us on. So grateful for the example that you gave us on how to win at marriage, how to win at life, and ultimately how to spend eternity with you. We're undeserving, God. We can't earn your grace, we can't earn salvation through acts. But, God, we're here this morning because we are faithful, and because we believe that you are an almighty God worth worshiping, worth praising, and worth living for. And so we just ask, God, that as we leave this place this morning, and as we get back to our lives starting tomorrow morning, that we live in our marriages with a renewed sense of servanthood and submission. We worship you, God, and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to the New Stanton Church podcast. We'd love to connect with you. So visit our website at newstantonchurch.com. Follow the Get Involved tab and RSVP to our next meet and greet.